Verse 21, When my heart was embittered and I was pierced within, then I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast taken hold of my right hand. With thy counsel thy, thou wilt guide me and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And beside thee I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Let's pray. Once again, our Father, we recognize before you that apart from your work through your Holy Spirit, there is nothing that we can gain from being together this morning. And so I pray that your presence would be very manifest today. We know that you've said you are here. Where two or three are gathered, you've promised to be there. Help us to be aware of your presence. I pray that the Holy Spirit will have freedom to work in the life of each one of us. Starting with me, Father. Take my tongue, take my mind. Control it for your glory. Do your work in our lives. Encourage us. Strengthen us. Take us away very aware that we have been in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, discouragement is one of the most useful tools that the enemy has. I would say that counselors, psychologists who are involved in that ministry, that service, would probably agree with me that 80% of the people that come for help in a counseling situation are there because of discouragement, one kind or another. Discouraged with themselves, discouraged with circumstances, discouraged with relationships, discouraged. Now, the interesting thing about discouragement is that you really don't have to fall into some terrible sin. And yet it can neutralize you spiritually as effectively as anything else. And the, and the enemy knows that. The devil knows that. And he uses discouragement to keep people from moving ahead in their spiritual lives. Disheartening us. Or the Bible calls it Losing heart. How many times that phrase appears in the scriptures? People lost heart. They gave up. They, they were discouraged for one reason or another. Now, in order for us to understand what we're talking about when we use the word discouragement, let me give you a definition that I got just right straight out of the dictionary, but I think it helps us understand this. It means to deprive of courage and confidence. To deprive of courage and confidence. And that's what the devil tries to do. He tries to take away our courage to believe God and to act as God wants us to act and do what God wants us to do. And he tries to take away our confidence that God will do what he promised to do and we begin to question. And so we're standing still spiritually. We're not... We're not moving ahead. We have been neutralized 
made ineffective, not because of some terrible thing we've done, but because of discouragement. I think it's probably one of the most common experiences that any of us can have. I think the larger part of us here would identify with that. In fact, probably all of us, there are some, just by virtue of their makeup, call it temperament, call it what you will, who tend to be more easily discouraged. But by and large, all of us face times of discouragement. My mother, who is now 87 years old, is one of the most positive people I've ever met. And yet there have been times when even she, in her, in her confidence in God and in her positive attitude, has gone through times of discouragement. Not long. She's able to come right out of it, but it's there. The tendency, the temptation to be discouraged. We grew up out here in, uh, on South Broadway in Albuquerque, where I was born. And for a long period of time during the Depression, we lived in a little stable that my father converted into a living quarters. And uh, it was very modest, obviously. Uh, we got flooded out several times, and it was one of those experiences that, that, uh, that I remember very well. And during that period of time, we were very happy to be able to have beans and rice and tortillas. That was my staple. I grew up on that, and I still love it. Florine knows that all she has to do to make me happy is fix some tortillas and some beans and some chili. She doesn't have to do anything else. And, uh, and we, we, we enjoy it. I, it's terrific. Anyway, Mom, I'll get you all hungry here in a minute. Mom, through all that time, I tell you, she maintained a positive, joyful spirit. I can remember that. We used to go up in the hills where the stadium is now and walk around up there. And she grew up on a ranch outside of Magdalena. And she knew what plants to gather. And we would gather the plants that we could take home and she could cook. She also knew which yucca plant we could dig up and use the root for shampoo. And we used to do all that kind of stuff. And, and there was just, I don't remember, an unhappy moment in our home in spite of our poverty because, because of that kind of a spirit. But even mom had times when there were moments of discouragement. So what I'm saying is, I believe all of us have to admit that we face it. We have some uh, good company, by the way. Remember Moses? Back in the book of Numbers, Moses began complaining to God, and he was discouraged. And he said, why have you given me, notice the word why, we're going to come back to that in a moment, why have you given me all these people to be responsible for? I can't handle it anymore. I'm tired. So Moses, as great a man of God as he was, had a, had a real time of discouragement with the, the disobedience of the people, the hardness of their hearts, and all the rest of it. Another example from Scripture is Joshua. Now, this is, a, this is an interesting experience because they've just had a tremendous victory. And so Joshua sends his spies to look at the city of Ai. Remember that? That little two-word city? And they went and looked at it came back and said, boss, 
piece of cake. Piece of cake. Send a few of us out there. We'll take care of it. So Joshua took their word for it. Sent them out. And they got battered. I mean, they got run away. The people of Ai just turned them away. And they were defeated. The mighty army of Israel was defeated. And Joshua was discouraged. He said, Lord, why have you, why? Why have you let this happen? Now, it's interesting. If you ever want to look at that passage, I'll give you the, the scripture and you can look it up. It's a very interesting little sequence. It's found in Joshua 7, 7 and on through the verse 11 primarily. Joshua asked God why and God answered him, what? Not why, but what? God said, here is what has happened. Here is what is taking place. Not why, but what? Now hold that thought in your mind, because as we go through this psalm in a moment, that's what we're going to find. The why questions just get things more confused. Why questions just get us more upset. Because we want to understand why God has done something. God maintains the right to secrecy. He doesn't say he's going to tell us why he does everything he does. In fact, there's a verse back in Isaiah, the 55th chapter, that says, As high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are my thoughts above your thoughts and my ways above your ways. And for us to always want to understand why God does what he does is really unrealistic. God never said he would tell us why. He will tell us what. And he told Joshua, he said, there is sin. There is sin in the camp and this is what has caused this situation. One more example from the Old Testament about people that you can identify, you can identify with in this matter of discouragement. And that's Elijah. This is an interesting account. You remember, this is in the book of 1 Kings, the 19th chapter. Elijah withstood 450 priests of Baal all by himself with his servant. Just the two of them. Elijah and his servant. And they withstood this whole crowd of priests. And, and they, had a, they had a contest, really, to prove who was the real God. And the priests put their sacrifices on their altars and they, they cut themselves and they sang and they yelled and they danced and they prayed to their gods all morning. And nothing happened. And then it was Elijah's turn. And he put on the altar that he had built, he and his servant, his sacrifice. And he asked God to demonstrate his power and to burn the offering. And fire came down from heaven, as you remember, and burnt not only the offering, but the altar as well. Proving the reality of God. Well, tremendous victory. Elijah went running to reach another area. And actually, he was hiding from a woman. Queen Jezebel. Remember that? Here he was having 
witnessed and demonstrated the reality of God's power, and now he's hiding from a woman who was queen. Discouraged. So discouraged that he said, Lord, take my life. He had gotten to that point. Some of you have reached that point at times. You've reached the point where you've said, boy, it would be better to be dead than keep going through what I'm going through. So we have some, we have some, some company. These men who, who knew God very intimately and yet experienced the reality of discouragement. Well, let's see what we can learn from this psalm. Now, if you have it open, we're going to work our way through. I'm just going to pick out certain verses, and we're going to see what God can show us that will help us know how to handle this matter of discouragement. He starts out by making a very positive current statement. Now, we're in the psalm, you're going to find he goes back and forth from, from this past experience to the present. And I'm going to try and isolate those verses so that we can understand the psalm. The first verse is the present tense. He says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. He's making a statement of present awareness of God. A statement of reassurance. A statement of of drawing to himself the reality of God's involvement, a reminder, if you please, and, and we need to do that. The Bible talks about renewing our minds. Remember in Romans, the 12th chapter, verse 2, it says, Be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. Exactly. And in Ephesians 4.23, Paul says the same thing. Be being continually renewed in the spirit of your mind. Well, that's what the psalmist is doing. He is renewing his mind by reminding himself of God's goodness and God's faithfulness. But then he says, let me tell you, let me tell you what almost happened to me. That's that next verse. As for me, Here's what almost happened. My feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. What he's saying is, I almost gave up. I almost lost heart. I came so close. How many times, how many times have you felt like saying, man, I don't know if this Christian business is worth it. It's tough. It requires too much. God says He loves me. God says He cares. And and yet here I am in the middle of this mess. It really doesn't work. I'm going to throw in the towel. I'm I'm going to go back and enjoy life the way I did before, if you enjoyed it. There are times when we go through experiences like that, when those are the feelings that we have. And the psalmist is admitting that's exactly what was happening to him. My feet had almost slipped. My feet were slipping. The song that we heard a while ago, and then the chorus that we sang afterwards, beautiful combination because it's exactly what I wanted to communicate to you. If you hold your finger in Psalm 73 and look back at Psalm 37. Psalm 37 
verse 31. The law of his God is in his heart. Therefore, his steps do not slip. See that? My feet had almost slipped. Why? Because I had forgotten what God says in his word. I had gotten so caught up in circumstances. I had focused my attention so much on what's going on around me. I had focused my attention so much on what people are doing to me. I had forgotten what he says in the scriptures. I had forgotten that God makes promises that will help me at times like this. And that's what this psalm says, that one in 37-31. The Word of God, the power of the Word of God as we, as we remind ourselves of it and apply it to our lives will keep our feet from slipping. Another passage comes to my mind. You needn't look it up. But let me read it for you. It's from the book of Job. It's the experience that Job had. And if anybody had reason to be discouraged, Job did. Full of boils. His wife had left him. His children were dead. His riches were gone. And here are these three men sitting around counseling him and basically blaming him, saying, well, what's happening to you, Job, is because of the way you've lived. And in the middle of that, he says, My foot has held fast to his path. I have kept his way and not turned aside. That's the key. The psalmist said, My foot was slipping. And I'm saying to you that the scriptures tell us the reason our feet slip in times of discouragement, and they come, they will for all of us, is because we forget what he says in the scriptures. That's why the Bible is so important to you and to me. This is the way God wants to help us live through these situations. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. By letting my feet slip. By letting discouragement move me away from you. Then verse 3. This is, this is what started to happen. He says, now, let me tell you, let me tell you where I got off the path. Verse 3 tells us where he got off the path. He says, I was envious of the wicked, as I saw of the arrogant, as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Do you ever think of that? Do you ever look around and, and see what's happening in the lives of some of the outstanding people in our society and how much they're making and how many things they have? And you're struggling along with the bare minimum wage, trying to support a family, doing the best you can, wondering how you're going to pay bills sometimes. Do you ever wonder at the imbalance, at, at what seems to be so unfair? You read about a young man who hasn't even finished college, but because of his outstanding prowess in football, he says he's not going to sign a contract unless they give him $10 million for four years. $10 million. You know, you'd be happy with one-tenth of that. So would I. There's something kind of out of balance 
Or you read about some of the entertainers in any, any entertainment field, and you read they're worth 30, 40, 50 million dollars? I mean, they've got that stored up somewhere in bank accounts, in, in investments, in one thing and another. And you, and you wonder, what's going on? Where, where's God in all this? In fact, that's what the psalmist asks later on. It's hard. It's hard to keep this all in balance. And this is where he got off the track. Envy. Now let me tell you what envy is. Envy is the resentful awareness of an enjoyment, excuse me, an advantage enjoyed by someone else. Let me read that again. It's the resentful awareness, resentful awareness of some advantage enjoyed by another person. And it goes beyond that. It goes to the point of desiring or even striving for the same thing. That's what envy does. And this is where he got off the path. And that's where many of us get off the path. We envy somebody else's situation. We wish we wish we could have what they have, or we wish we could be like they are, or whatever. Sometimes it might be health. It doesn't have to be material. Sometimes it might be appearance. And when we begin to focus on that, as the psalmist did, the same thing will happen to him to us that happened to him. The steps begin to slip because we focused on something else, the prosperity of the wicked or the, the unbeliever. It's interesting, some of you are familiar with uh, the Living Bible by Dr. Kenneth Taylor. He calls these people down here where it says, their eye bulges from fatness. He says these are fat cats. Which is pretty descriptive. There they are. They're enjoying everything. And we're struggling. If that becomes our focal point, if that's what we begin to think about, if that's where we let our minds become involved in the, in the disparity that exists, it can lead to discouragement. It will lead to discouragement if we allow that to continue. Well, there's one other thing we have to see that led this man down that step, down that path. Verse 13 and 14. He starts out with this matter of envy. Now he moves into another area. And this is progressive. This is what happens to us. Surely, verse 13, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. For I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. Now you see, he started out with envy and now he's involved in self-pity. That ever happened to you? Yeah. And you know what's wrong with self-pity? The very first word, self. We begin to focus on me. The poor me syndrome. Nobody has it as tough as I do. And, we, and that becomes our focal point. The interesting thing is, one of the plagues 
of this age is the whole concept that has led us to a variety of demonstrations of self-centeredness. It is amazing what we are being led to believe regarding the importance of ourselves. Self-fulfillment, self-accomplishment, self-awareness, self-image, on and on and on. And in one of the sessions I've had here in the past, I mentioned this, but I'll, ask, I'll, I'll review it with you. In a survey that was made, it was found that 80%, 80%, not 18, 80, 80% of the books that are in our Christian bookstores today focus on some area of self-actualization. Most of us aren't even aware of it. In fact, we respond to it. Because it ministers to me. You say, well, what's wrong with that? Nothing. Except if that becomes my focal point. If my need for security, my need for significance, my need for whatever it might be, if that becomes my focal point, I'm going to get in trouble. Because Jesus said very clearly, if anyone wants to come after me, let him give up all rights to himself. Not look for ways to make himself feel better. Not look for ways to be more self-fulfilling. Give up all rights to himself and take up his cross and follow me. And the psalmist says, not only did I become guilty of envy, but I became guilty of being wrapped up and filled with self-pity. That's what leads to discouragement. Now notice in verse 15, he's back to the present. Oh, what's been going on? But he's back to the present now, and he's saying, Now, if I had really let myself do what I felt like doing, all this that I've expressed... I would have betrayed God. I would have betrayed your children if I had allowed that to happen. See, he struggled, but he found his way through, and that's where we want to end up this morning. Let's figure out how the psalmist found his way through. And it begins in verse 16. Now, here is another trap. I mentioned earlier that we were going to look at the difference between why and what. Verse 16 is the verse that says, if you get wrapped up in trying to ask why, it's going to be very difficult, very heavy, very discouraging. The psalmist says that. When I pondered to understand this, why, it was troublesome in my sight. You see, when God allows circumstances to come, when he takes us through the fire that Fernando sang about, it's not a question of saying, Lord, why? But what? What do you want me to do in this circumstance? What can I believe? What do you want to accomplish for your glory? God does not make mistakes. He takes us through situations that may be difficult at times, but it is always for our good. 
So it isn't necessary to try to understand why. We already know why. We know that God does it for our good. He does it because He loves us. Jeremiah 29.11, some of you are familiar with that, says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. And the, and the Apostle Paul writing to the Romans in Romans 15.13 says, The God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God is a God of hope. And He wants to give me joy and peace in believing. Not because I understand why, but that I can believe Him. He is in control. Isaiah 14.27 says, The Lord of hosts has purposed. And who will annul it? His hand is stretched out. And who will turn it back? God is working out His plan in the life of His child. And that may, that may involve difficulties. It may involve tests. It may involve things that could discourage us. But they don't need to discourage us. There can be hope and there can be joy in the middle of the fire, in the middle of the trial, if we stop asking why and ask what. What are you trying to teach me, Lord? What do you want me to do in this situation? Well, here we are. The psalmist said, when I try to understand it, it was burdensome. It was heavy. Got got terrible confusing. But let's go on. Verse 17 begins the answer. Until I came into the sanctuary of God, then I perceived their end. What's he saying? I got a new perspective when I got back into fellowship with God. That's what he's saying. My vision got cleared up. I got to focusing on the right thing. I began focusing on God again. Not on the circumstances. Not on these people. Not on what seems unfair. But I began focusing on God. I came back into His sanctuary. I got back into fellowship with Him. I confessed if that was necessary. I did whatever was necessary to get back into fellowship with God. If we confess our sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Sometimes we have to confess that we have doubted Him. And that has led to discouragement. Sometimes we have to confess that we didn't believe Him. And that has led to discouragement. And we confess. And we come back into fellowship with God. And our whole perspective gets changed. And we see things more clearly. And we see things from God's perspective. Then in verse 21 through 24, he goes back and reviews something before he finalizes his statement. He says, you know, back there when I was letting this happen, back there when I got myself involved in asking why and and all this other stuff, my heart was embittered. 
resentful, angry. And I was pierced within. It hurt. I was destroyed inside. You've experienced that, so have I. Torn up inside because of something that happens that we don't understand. Someone in our family goes through a difficult experience. We have three children now. They're all adults and developing their own lives in different parts of the world. We've watched some things. Eight years ago, our daughter's husband left her for another woman. He claimed to be a Christian. He was the son of, a, of an evangelical pastor. But he couldn't have cared less. And they were divorced. And we've watched our daughter raise two boys who are now 21 and 19 and do an excellent job. I want to tell you something. I know what he's talking about. I was angry. I could not understand how a man could do that who claimed what he claimed. I couldn't understand why God would let that happen to a, a, a woman who was seeking to please Him and was serving Him in a variety of ways. There were no answers. There were no answers except to believe that God is in control. He is in control. He said, I was like a beast before thee. Then he goes on, he says, Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. This is the psalmist talking. He's not talking about God being continually with him. He says that next. He says, In spite of these temptations, in spite of these feelings, I still want to please you. You know that. And God knew that about me when I struggled with that. And he knows that about you. If that is your desire to continue to glorify Him, even though you don't understand and even though you go through some of these feelings and you're willing to express them and admit them but not allow them to control you. They are feelings that all of us have, but they don't have to control us. The psalmist says, even, even when I was in that pit, behaving like an animal, my heart basically was with you. Now notice what he says. Thou hast taken hold of my right hand. God saw that. And he saw the, this, this experience that he went through. And, and he says, God has taken hold of my right hand. God hasn't failed me. With thy counsel thou wilt guide me and afterward receive me to glory. And then these last two verses. And this is where we end this morning. Here is the answer the real answer to discouragement. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart may fail. I may struggle. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's a renewed awareness of God's presence and involvement in my life.
And then the commitment, the last verse of the psalm, is a new commitment. And maybe it's a commitment that you and I have to make this morning. Maybe there are times when you've allowed yourself to let your foot almost slip, or maybe this morning you're at a place right now where, where you're, you're struggling with something, wondering, questioning, asking why. The psalmist says, as for me, this is back in the present now, he's told us what he's gone through, as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all thy works. In the New Testament, there's a passage in the book of Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 that says this, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Therefore, we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. That's why the discouragement needn't possess us. It will tempt us. We will be tempted to discouragement but we don't have to give in to it because we remind ourselves that God is there and He is faithful and He has promised to work in us that which is pleasing in His sight. I pray the Lord will help you this morning if you are experiencing discouragement in any way that He will help you to turn your eyes back on Him, not on the circumstances and not on the way people are treating you, not on relationships that may have gotten shattered somehow, not on the disappointments that there are around us continually, but to get your eyes back on, on Him. Whom have I in heaven but Thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside Thee. We're going to pray together. We're going to take just a few seconds quietly for you to pray by yourself. Whatever you want to tell God, if there is something that has been discouraging you, disheartening you, to get it back into perspective, do that right now, just for a few moments. Father, we are so grateful that you have made provision for every circumstance. Even when we're hurting, even when we're going through the fire. Some through the fire, some through the flood. But all through the blood, God leads his dear children along. I pray that you would bring healing to hearts that are aching this morning. That you would bring resolution where there is confusion. That you would allow your Holy Spirit to pour the balm of Gilead on hearts that are wounded this morning. I ask, Father, that we would get our eyes back on you and not on the circumstances. That we would be encouraged and filled with hope 
rather than discouraged by what is happening in life. For your glory we pray this and for the good of your people. In Jesus' name, amen.